We welcome you to the Tabernacle Podcast, brought to you by the Tabernacle Baptist Church in Hickory, North Carolina. If you'd like to learn more about Tabernacle, you can visit our website, tabernaclebaptistchurch.com. You can find other sermons like this one on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and Sermon Audio. It is our prayer that God has used this message to be an encouragement to your heart. I'd like to take the Word of God, please, with me this evening, and let's all go together to the 103rd Psalm. Psalm 103. The rest conference this past week was tremendous blessing, and we spent much time in the book of the Psalms. I told Brother Polly one of the afternoons, we were just talking, and I said, you know, the Psalms have taken on a whole new meaning for me personally in the last year or so of my life. And they have gone from theory to reality. It's almost like you go into the classroom and you hear the teacher lecturing. And you can get a a knowledge, a head knowledge, and you can even uh, believe what is being taught. But it's not until you go into the laboratory and you try out those formulas that you actually know that they work. And I'm so grateful for the Word of God, the comfort, the strength that it brings We come tonight to the 103rd Psalm. I want to thank Pastor, of course, for the opportunity to fill the pulpit in his absence tonight. We're praying for him that God will use him in a special way. Psalm 103, verse number one, we'll read the entire psalm together. David writes, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who, for, who forgiveth all thine iniquities, who healeth all thy diseases, who redeemeth thy life from destruction, who crowneth thee with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfieth thy mouth with good things, so that thy youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord executeth righteousness and judgment for all that are oppressed. He made known his ways unto Moses, his acts unto the children of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and plenteous in mercy. He will not always chide, neither will he keep his anger forever. He hath not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward them that fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. For he knoweth our frame, he remembereth that we are dust. As for man, his days are as grass, as a flower of the field, so he flourisheth. The wind passeth over it and is gone, and the place thereof shall know it no more. But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting upon them that fear him, and his righteousness unto the children's children, to such as keep his covenant and to those that remember his commandments to do them. The the Lord hath prepared his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom ruleth over all. Bless the Lord, ye his angels, that excel in strength, that do his commandments, hearkening unto the voice of his word. Bless ye the Lord, all ye his hosts, ye ministers of his, that do his pleasure. Bless the Lord, all his works, in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. If you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, I'd like to take your attention to verse number one where David begins this psalm by saying, Bless the Lord, O my soul. You find it also in verse number two, Bless the Lord, O my soul. And then you find it at the very end of the psalm, 
where David closes it all by saying again, bless the Lord, O my soul. Tonight, I'd like to give to you my sermon to my soul. My sermon to my soul. This is what we call an envelope song, psalm. It begins and it ends with the exact same phrase. And when you find that, then everything contained within the envelope is the subject matter. I have good news for some of you. I have one point tonight. Don't be so pious. You're all excited about that. And it is very simply this. Bless the Lord, O my soul. It is as if David, and by the way, we don't know exactly when this psalm is written. We're not sure at what juncture of his life. We have some indication. But it is as if David, just at some point in his life, is going about his daily routine. His, and by the way, a very busy person. With all of the cares of the kingdom and all that David has to deal with, it is as if David comes to a point in his life when he recognizes something about himself and he stops everything. He puts it all on pause and he addresses his own soul. And it's like David looks at himself in the mirror and he says, you're not blessing the Lord like you need to. G. Campbell Morgan says this of the 103rd Psalm. He said, it is perhaps the perfect song of pure praise to be found in all of the Bible. David says very simply, bless the Lord, O my soul. And this is not a blessing like a, like a greater would bless a lesser, like a wealthier would bless a poorer. You see, the, the magnitude of God is beyond anything that any of us could comprehend, and he is the greatest of the great. And so it is not that we are giving to him something that he is in need of, and we are blessing him in that way. As a matter of fact, this word bless, found in the 103rd Psalm, comes from the Hebrew word barak, and it simply means to kneel. Here's what David says. Kneel to the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Kneel to the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of his benefits. David says, bless the Lord. This word, Lord Jehovah, found 11 times in these 22 verses. He addresses his soul. He does not address the body. He does not address his mind, his hand, his feet, his mouth. Because David knows what we all know, and that is this. When there is an issue between me and God with the hand that is doing something that it should not do, with the mouth that is speaking something it should not speak, with the foot that is carrying me to places that I should not go, then the fact of the matter is the problem is not with those. The problem is with the soul. And so David says, bless the Lord, O my soul. This is the inner man. This is the real us. This is, this is, by the way, in Genesis, when God says that he created, God created Adam of the dust of the ground and he breathed into Adam's nostrils the breath of life, the Bible says that man became a living soul. I am not a body that has a soul. I'm an eternal soul that possesses a body. And David saw it the right way. And so he speaks to the inner man and he says to the inner man, you, David, you and the, and the real uh, recesses of, of who you actually are, you kneel to the Lord. And then he says this, and all that is within me. All that is within me. I want you to know that this is not just the way 
that we are to bless the Lord. And by the way, we are to bless him in this way. That is all that is within me. No half-hearted offerings of praise, no half-hearted blessings, no flippantly will praise the Lord and all those things that we are guilty of doing. But David says, all that is within me, with all that I am, bless the Lord. But I want you to know, it's not just the way in which he is blessed, but it is the condition also in which he is to be blessed. You see, David's life was made up of a lot of different events, just as your life and my life are made up of a lot of, a lot of different events. And we say things like this, well, you know, you need to bless God on the good days and the bad days. And I believe that that's true. But watch this. You also need to bless God on the days when you are faithful and the days you are not faithful. You see, we like to come into church together where we, where we gather as a church family and we say, well, we've gathered together today in this place to worship the Lord. And certainly we have done that. But when we come into this place, we all like to put on this pretense like everything in my life is great and I've lived the perfect Christian life all week long and I'm going to stand beside my brothers and sisters in Christ and I'm going to sing at the top of my lungs and by the way, you should, but what if we just lost the pretense? Because the fact of the matter is that's not reality. If I only worshiped God, if I only offered my blessing and my worship to the Lord on the days when I was perfectly obedient, guess what? I'd never worship him. You say, did you bless God on the days that you lost your temper? I should. Did you bless God on the days when you said the things you shouldn't say? I should. David said, all that is within me, all that makes up my life. Let me tell you something. There came a, David, a day in David's life when he failed God terribly. And we're all very familiar with that day. Do you know what God was waiting for David to do on that day? Bless his name. He was not saying, David, you have to stay far away. No, David could come to God at any moment that he chose to. And finally, when the prophet of God comes in David's presence and he says, David, thou art the man. And David comes face to face with his sin. He finally offers to God what he owes him, his worship, and he blesses God. But look at all the days in between where God was waiting for David to do that same thing. This is why he says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Look here, take every failure, take every success, take every good day, take every bad day, put the whole thing together and say with the Apostle Paul, it is but the grace of God that I am what I am. I'm not perfect. I've got lots of failures, but I'm gonna take all of that and I'm gonna offer it in praise to God and say, blessed be the name of the Lord. David says, bless the Lord, oh my soul. He preaches to himself. He looks himself in the mirror. By the way, the most powerful sermon that you'll, ever, that you'll ever hear in your life is not a sermon that comes from a pulpit. The most powerful sermon you'll ever hear is when you and God are all alone and he is speaking to you. And he says, I'm not getting from you what I deserve. And we admit to ourselves, I must preach my sermon to my soul. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul and all that is within me, then David says, bless his holy name. David recognized something about God that turned him to worship, and that is that he worshiped a holy God. Holiness is the overarching attribute of who God is. Look at, please, the angels of heaven do not, do not fly in, in protective circles around the throne of God, crying, love, love, love is the Lord God Almighty, which by the way, he is. 
And they do, they, they do not, with, with spread wings around the throne of God, say, say, joyful, joyful, joyful. They do not say long-suffering, long-suffering, long-suffering. By the way, he is all of those things. But the overarching attribute of who our God is, is holy, he is holy, he is holy. It means he is separate. Separate from what? Yes, he is separate. He is separate from sin and separate from sinners. He is above all. He is, he is exalted above everything. He says through the prophet Isaiah, I am God and there is none else. I am God and there is none like me. He says, I am the only God and I am the only one in my category. There's no one to compare me to. And David says, when I am blessing the Lord, here's what I understand, that he is a holy God. He is separate from me. He is to be viewed as that. He is holy. But then he says this, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. I'm going to tell you, in just a minute, David's going to start listing off a bunch of reasons why he is to bless the Lord. But before David gets to the first reason of why he should bless the Lord for what God does, he says, you should bless the Lord, O my soul, for who he is. He is holy, and he has let you know who he is by his names. All the names of God, they talk to us. The names of God speak to us about the character of God. He is El Shaddai. He is the Lord God Almighty. He is El Elyon. He is the Lord Most High. He is Yahweh, the I Am. He is Adonai, the Master. He is Jehovah Ra, the Lord, my Shepherd. He is Jehovah Rapha, the Lord that heals. He is Elohim, the Creator and the Judge. He is Jehovah Jireh, the Lord that provides. And we could go on and on and on about the names of God that speak to us about the character of God. But David says this, bless the Lord, soul. Soul, you, get, you need someone to preach to you. And I'm the only one here, so I'm gonna preach a little bit, soul. You're not blessing God like you need to bless God. Bless his holy name. Start with who he is. And by the way, if we ever get a view of who God is, that is enough. We are so childish in our Christianity. I am so childish. And I say, look at all that he's done for you. And by the way, he has done more than I could ever account. But why do I not start where David started? With who he is. Because what he is, is enough to bless him for. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, he says in verse number two. And forget not all his benefits. Oh, here's a list. Verse number three. Who forgiveth all thine iniquities. Look, on this long list of things that David's about to talk about that God has done for him, all the benefits that God has given to David, he begins where he should begin. And he says, the very first thing on the top of the list, who forgiveth all thine iniquities. How many of them, David? All of them. David, do you have any stains that you are ashamed of? Oh, oh yeah. David, do you have any iniquities that you wish that you could forget about? And he says, absolutely. But here's what David says. I'm going to bless the Lord who took all of those iniquities. He put them all together in one place, and then he forgave them all. By the way, when the immensity of our sin grips us, the magnitude of our offense to God ever grips us, 
then and only then are we going to be in the place where we can truly worship and bless him. Because when you look at who he is, it's all inspiring. But then when you see who you are, it brings you to say, bless the Lord, O my soul, forget not all his benefits. He forgiveth, forgiveth all thine iniquities. Secondly, he says in verse number three, who healeth all thy diseases. You say, all the diseases? I got a whole bunch of them. I got a whole list of diseases that I'm dealing with right now. Let me, see, let me show you something really interesting for the child of God. Hold your place here in Psalm 103 and turn back just a few pages to the 71st Psalm. Psalm chapter 71. I was reading this a number of months ago and it's a, a fantastic promise that I just claimed as my own along with so many others. Verse number one, in thee, O Lord, do I put my trust. Let me never be put to confusion. Deliver me in thy righteousness and cause me to escape. Incline thine ear unto me and save me. There's David's request for salvation. This is not the salvation of his soul. This is the salvation of his body. By the way, the one that David is blessing is the only savior of the soul and of the body. Verse three, be thou my strong habitation, whereunto I may continually resort. Thou hast given commandment to save me, for thou art my rock and my fortress. What are you saying, David? Look, here, let's be really clear about something. When God gives commandment for something, it is going to happen. Do we understand that? When God says, I command that that happens, just like when God said, I command that the light shine at creation, light had no choice in the matter. It had to shine because God said so. And David says, Lord, you have commanded that I would be saved. But may I say, it might not be in this lifetime. But there are a whole group of people that we know, and they've been healed of all their diseases. And they're somewhere else. By the way, they're not in some spirit realm. They're in a real place, just like Hickory, North Carolina. They're in a real place beholding the face of Jesus. And in this moment, if you were to speak to them and you'd ask them, hey, how many diseases do you have? They'd say, not one of them. He healed every one. David says to the Lord, I'm going to bless the Lord. My soul is going to bless you. It is going to bow before you because you have forgiven all my iniquities and you have healed all my diseases. This is a great prophetic statement. This is a, this is a statement of faith. Do you think David had, had any ailments? By the way, Spurgeon said that he believed David wrote this towards the end of his life for a couple of reasons. One, because David had a greater sense of his own sinfulness and a greater sense of his own physical weakness. As I get older, I become familiar with both of those more than is comfortable, shall we say. My own sinfulness and my own physical weakness. And David said, I'm going to bless the Lord because he's addressed both of them. Verse number four, who redeemeth thy life from destruction. There was nobody who could speak to this like David could speak to this. David's life is going along in such a smooth way, seemingly fine. Yeah, a few problems, but, but I mean, he's on top of the world. And then one night of bad decisions, one sinful night, and everything goes off the rails. And David said, I could have, I could have been ended there. But he says, he redeemed my soul, excuse me, redeemed my life. From destruction. If you're in the habit of marking things again, I want you to mark that word redeemed. This is really, really cool. 
for the older people. This is very interesting. The word that David uses here is not just the generic redeemed. This is a direct reference to the kinsman redeemer. You know, his great-granddaddy, the one, the one who, who married Ruth, Ruth and Boaz, the kinsman redeemer, the near kinsman. And David says, this is what I'm talking about, who redeems my life from destruction. You say, wait a second, how does David know about a redeemer? Jesus Christ is coming years later. Was it not Job who said many years before David, I know that my redeemer liveth and he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. And though worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh shall I see God. You see, they looked forward to their redemption as we look backwards to it. And David, with great faith in God, says, He forgiveth all thine iniquity, soul. He heals all your diseases, soul. And he has redeemed thy life from destruction. And David says, not only did he take away all the bad stuff, but let's talk about all the good stuff that he crowned you with. Verse number four, who crowneth thee with loving kindness and tender mercies. If all God ever did for any one of us was forgive our sin and save us from the destructive path that we were on, not a single person in this room could stand with a finger pointed in the face of God and say, that was not enough. You did not give me enough. If all he ever did was say, you don't have to go to hell when you die. That's all we could ask for. But in loving kindness, he reaches into the storehouse of heaven and he pulls out a crown and he sets it on our undeserving, unworthy head. And he says, here's some more benefits. And David says, bless the Lord, O oh my soul. What are these benefits? Look at them. We'll hurry quickly through them. Verse number five, who satisfieth thy mouth with good things so that thy youth is renewed like the eagle's. He satisfieth thy mouth. Was it not David also who said, taste and see that the Lord is good? This is the satisfaction of his mercy. We're living in a generation of people who cannot be satisfied. I said to our class this morning, I believe it was Mike Edwards years and years ago, I heard Mike Edwards say this, that we develop an appetite for, for what we feed on. And our problem is this, we feed on so many different things that we are never satisfied. And if we would ever get back to just feeding on God and his word, it alone would satisfy us. And David says this, the mercy of God is that which satisfieth thy mouth with good things. He continues verse number five, look at it please. So that thy youth is renewed like the eagles. This this youthful satisfaction. Let me tell you, the older I get, the, the, the less meaningful things are. And it's part of growing up that I just don't like. And some of you say, Dan, you've never grown up. Perhaps. But part of getting older, there are certain, there are certain just really tangible things that, that you miss in your youth. Can anybody else agree with me that breakfast cereal used to hit a little bit differently than it does right now? I mean, I'm just being serious, right? I mean, we, we go through the, the grocery store, we're going through Walmart, and, uh, you know, we're, I'm trying to pick out adult things, Brussels sprouts and, you know, stuff that makes me... And, you know, where do the kids want to go? They want to go to the cereal aisle. Guess what? I remember those days. It just doesn't hit the same way anymore. It's good. It's okay. You know, it might give me indigestion a little bit. I don't know, but 
It's just not the same. I said to my dad years ago, I said, Dad, Christmas is great, but you know, the whole childhood magical Christmas. And you know what he said to me? He said, when you, when you live it through your children, that magic comes back a little bit. And he was right. But it's interesting, isn't it, that as we get older and older, things that used to satisfy us just a little bit don't really satisfy us anymore. I think that's one of God's reminders to us as we age that we are not made for this world. But here's what David says. He satisfieth thy mouth with good things so that thy youth is renewed like the eagle's. Hey, look here, the satisfaction that he gives to my soul in my younger days is the same satisfaction that I could have all the way through. And David says, now I'm an old man. I was satisfied with him back then. I was satisfied on the days that I failed him. I was satisfied with him on the days I didn't fail him. And all the way through, here's my testimony. He's renewed my youth with satisfaction. Why? Because he's a merciful God. Verse number six, the Lord executeth righteousness and judgment for all that are oppressed. This is the faithfulness of his mercy. I'd like you to mark these two words, if you would, please, at the very end of the verse, are oppressed. It's a present tense. He does not say that he executeth judgment for those who were oppressed. He said for those who currently are being oppressed. Perhaps you find yourself in that position today. Perhaps you have somebody who in your life is antagonistic towards your walk with Christ and, and the fact that you are a Christian. Maybe somebody at your school, maybe somebody at your workplace, maybe a family member. And the mercy of God, the Bible says, his mercy, not only does it satisfy thy mouth, but it executeth righteousness and judgment for all that are oppressed. For those who pervert judgment, for those who ignore righteousness, and God says, hey, hey, look, I'll give you mercy for that. I'll get you through that. By the way, don't you think David had people, I promise you he did, whose keen delight it was to bring up past failures. Oh, I see you, king of Israel, sitting on your throne. I know. I know what you did, David. Adulterer murderer, liar, deceiver. David, I know what you did. And God says, I have mercy for that too. Listen, the devil is a liar. We know that. He is the accuser of the brethren. And on the day when you feel like I just cannot get over my past, I just cannot get over what I've done, you remember this, his mercy is enough for that. Verse number seven, we have the satisfaction of his mercy, the faithfulness of his mercy. Verse number seven, he made known his ways unto Moses, his acts unto the children of Israel. This is the condescension of his mercy. Oh, this excites me. Let me tell you something. This gets me going. This is the condescension of his mercy. Can you imagine the eternal God who makes himself known to his creation? Romans chapter 11, verse number 33. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. His ways, they, uh, uh, they says it in Paul, says in Romans, his ways, watch this, are past finding out. You can't know God. 
You can't sit down with a pencil and paper and calculate who God is, calculate his character. You can't figure anything out about God. Anything and everything that we know of God, he has revealed to us by his mercy. He's condescended to us. He says, he made known his ways unto Moses. Who did? Who made his, his ways known? Eternal God, the creator. And then he goes on to say, his acts unto the children of Israel. Jesus and his disciples are walking through and they come to the coast of Caesarea Philippi. And Jesus turns to them and he says, hey guys, who do men say that I, the son of man, am? Who do they say I am? And they start giving him some answers. Well, you know, you're this and that and the other. And then he, he gets real personal. He says, okay, all right. Who do you say that I am? And Peter steps forward and he says, thou art the Christ, son of the living God. And we all say, great answer, Peter, but let's be honest, fairly elemental. Doesn't every Sunday school kid know that? Who is Jesus? He's the promised Messiah. He's the son of God. I mean, look, we learned this in, in kindergarten, right? Wait a second. Think of Christ's response to Peter's answer. Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed this unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. Look, can I say to you, the most elemental things about who God is, you and I could never know unless he revealed them to us through his mercy. It is the mercy of God that I know who he is. It is the mercy of God that I know his son. It is the mercy of God that he has revealed to me the way of salvation. All of that I could never figure out. But he has made his ways known to us. And David takes a step back and he says, when I think about the eternal, limitless God, the, the one who has unlimited power and un unlimited knowledge, and I know that I know him, bless the Lord. Kneel to him, the one who's made himself known to you. He continues in verse number eight in subsequent verses, bless the, uh, excuse me, the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and plenteous in mercy. He will not always chide, neither will he keep his anger forever. He hath not dealt with us after our sin, nor re rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward them that fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. This is the abundance of his mercy. Look at verse number, verse number eight. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and plenteous. Plenteous in mercy. Jeremiah, the penman of the Lamentations, says this. This I recall, therefore have I hope. What did you recall? Look, Jerusalem is in, is in rubble. It's in ashes. It's still on fire. What do you mean you have hope? And he says, it is of the Lord's mercies we are not consumed. How big is his mercy? Here's how big it is. It is renewed every morning. Look, we get this idea that I've lived this life and I've tried to live for God. I've tried to do the right thing. But I mean, let's be honest, we all fail. And after living 30 years as a Christian, 40 years as a Christian, or maybe back up, maybe you lived 30 days as a Christian, I don't know. But you say, over all of that time, is his mercy enough? My friend, listen, 
It's not like the mercy of God covers all of that in a linear form. He says, every morning, every bit of mercy that I possess is renewed to you all over again. It's not like I withdraw a little mercy and a little mercy and a little mercy and God's got this giant vat of mercy in heaven and slowly it's going down, it's going down, it's going down. No, it doesn't work that way. He says, out of my vast, limitless supply, I give to you and it's renewed every day. This is the mercy offered to you by your God. And when we think of that, the response like David is this, kneel to him, bless his name. For as the heaven is high above the earth, verse 11, so great is his mercy toward them that fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. Verse number 13, we come to the tenderness of God's mercy. Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. For he knoweth our frame, he remembereth that we are dust. As for man, his days are as grass, as a flower of the field. So he flourisheth, for the wind passeth over it, and it is gone, and the place thereof shall know it no more. You know what David says? This is the tenderness of God's mercy. Listen, sometimes we get this idea, and it's so far from the character of God. We get this idea about God that he says, well, because I'm God, and because I've promised my mercy, I have to give it to you. I don't want to give it to you. You don't deserve it. You knucklehead, you've messed up a thousand times. I don't want to give you mercy. Listen, this is not who God is. God wants to be merciful. God desires to be merciful. Look, he says, I understand who you are. I made you. By the way, I think we should remind ourselves sometimes what God knows about us. I'm dust. Do you, know what, do you know what me recognizing that I'm dust does for me? It takes away all of, my, all of my thinking that I can do this on my own. And God says, I know you better than you know you, bub, and you are dust. You are weak. And so you know what you need? You need tender mercy. You need a loving heavenly father that when you mess up, and in repentance, you come back to me and you confess your sin and I'm faithful and just to forgive you of your sin and to cleanse you from all your unrighteousness. I give you mercy once more and it is the most tender mercy that a father ever gave to a son. This is his mercy, the tenderness of his mercy. Look at verse number 17. But the mercy of the Lord. Now there's a conjunction there. The conjunction, but. So we've got to go back up and we have to see the, the thing that is being contrasted to. And we find that in verse number 15 and 16. As for man, his days are as grass, as a flower of the field. So he flourisheth. For the wind passeth over it and it is gone, and the place thereof shall, not, shall know it no more. Now this is the way of man. We show up on planet earth, we live a few decades, and we're gone. And when the flower of life is gone, then very shortly it's remembered no more. But in contrast to that, here's what God says about his own mercy. But the mercy of the Lord, not as man, not as the way of man, but the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting. David said in the 23rd Psalm, 
Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And we usually stop it right there. And we say, well, from the day I was born until the day that I die, God's mercy has been following me. God's, God's mercy has been trailing me. No, David did not stop the sentence there. He said this, surely, truly, without a doubt, his goodness and his mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It's not as if the mercy of God stops when I die. No, look, his mercy is going to be greater in heaven. I will live under the mercy of almighty God through all of eternity. He says his mercy is from everlasting and it is to everlasting. And I ask you a question. Why is the mercy of God from everlasting and to everlasting? And here's the answer. Because the God of mercy is from everlasting and he is too everlasting and it is his character. He cannot break it. He is merciful. David, no doubt, looks at the, at the foreign lands about him. He looks at the Philistines and the Amorites and the Hittites and David says, I see your gods. And when I look at your gods, here's what I see. No mercy. Mine has mercy from everlasting and to everlasting. And then he says this, verse number 17, upon them that fear him. I want you to go to verse number 11 and mark that last phrase, make note of it. Them that fear him. Look at verse number 13, last phrase, verse number 13. Them that fear him. Verse number 17 again, upon them that fear him. May I say something to you tonight? Listen very carefully, please. The mercies of God are offered to all, but only received by them that fear him. The mercies of God are offered to all, but they are received only by them that fear him. And the fear of the Lord is, is something that I think is, is widely misunderstood, but the 103rd Psalm does a fabulous job of defining it for us because he says, verse number 17, but the mercies of the Lord is upon is from everlasting to everlasting upon them that fear him and his righteousness unto the children's children to such as keep his covenant and to those that remember his commandments to do them. You say, what does it look like to fear the Lord? Here's what it looks like. Keep his covenant and remember his commandments to do them. You say, I fail in a lot of ways. Yeah, join the club. But let me ask you, do you keep his covenant and do you remember his commandments to keep them? You say, I don't do it perfectly. No, none of us do it perfectly, but this is the essence of fearing the Lord. This is the essence of a reverence of who God is to keep his covenant and to remember his commandments to do them, to be obedient to the Lord. Here's what's so great. Nobody needs mercy for a perfect life. No one needs mercy. Look, if I could do all this on my own, I don't need his mercy. But because I fail, because I don't perfectly keep his covenants, and though I don't perfectly keep his commandments, though I try and fail and try and fail, he says, this is the reason I have mercy. This is the reason it's from everlasting to everlasting because you are everlastingly failing. But you keep coming back. The righteous man falls seven times and riseth back up. Verse number 19 the Lord hath prepared his throne in the heavens and his kingdom ruleth 
over all. David is given a vision here, and he, and he portrays this vision to you and to I of the throne of God. And what's the, what's the result? What's the result, Isaiah, when you have a, a vision of who God is? I, I fell to my, to my face. I said, I'm undone. I'm unworthy. John, what happened when you saw the throne of God in chapter 4, chapter 5 of Revelation? And John said, I was given strength to see the rest of what I had to view. And David says here, ultimately, when I come to the throne of God and I see him high and lifted up, seated upon his throne, ruling and reigning over the universe, here's my response. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And then David says, does something really, really unique. You see, it's as if at the beginning, David recognizes of his own soul, of his, of, of, of his own self. David says, hey, buddy, you, you're not blessing the Lord like you should. And so he preaches a sermon to himself. And he says, bless the Lord. And then he starts recounting all of the benefits of God. And something dawns on David. Every bit of my adoration and every bit of my worship and all the blessings that I can offer to God is not nearly what he deserves. And so now David changes direction and he starts saying outwardly, look at verse number 20, bless the Lord ye his angels that excel in strength, that do his commandments, hearkening unto the voice of his word. Bless ye the Lord, all ye his hosts, ye ministers of his, that do his pleasure. Bless the Lord all his works in all places of his dominion. David says to the angels of heaven, hey, you who are, are serving the Lord, Bless him, because you're doing it perfectly. You're, do, you're, you're obeying perfectly. So you guys bless him too, because he deserves that. And then he says to the mountains and the trees and the oceans and the stars, he says to all of his works, to everything that he's created, we all have to come together because he deserves this. But he does not stop there. Because he continues, David, while they're blessing him, don't you forget, Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. David said, this is my sermon to my soul. As I've been studying this in the past weeks and months, a hymn has come to my mind a number of times that goes along with that, and that is, Blessed Be the Name, written by William H. Clark. All praise to him who reigns above in majesty supreme, who gave his son for man to die, that he might man redeem. And I thought, this is going to be a great illustration. This is going to be a wonderful, I need to look up the hymn history on this song, and I need to, I need to find out because that's going to go so well with this, and, and it's going to encourage my heart, and I just can't wait to find out what the hymn history is of Blessed Be the Name. And I started doing some research, and can I tell you what I found out? Other than the year he was born and the year he died, we know nothing about William H. Clark. And we know even less about the occasion for him writing the words to this song. And I was a little bit disappointed. I thought that had been a great illustration. And then it dawned on me. That's the greatest illustration. Because the name of William H. Clark does not need to be blessed. And my name does not need to be blessed. And your name does not need to be blessed. But his does. It doesn't matter who does what and who gets the 
who gets the accolades for the accomplishments. David, the king of Israel, look, I mean, the icon of all Jewish icons, says to himself, David, I know what people think about you. I know what they're saying. I know the promises that God has given to you, David. But David, lest you think too highly of yourself, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Would you pray with me? Our Father, we thank you for your word tonight. We thank you for the truth of it. Oh, Lord, help us, please, to preach this sermon to our own souls tonight. That we would say, Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. With our heads bowed and eyes closed, would you please stand to your feet? I did not close our prayer tonight because I believe that there are those tonight who perhaps need to make their way to this altar and say with the psalmist David, Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. And not tonight only, but tomorrow morning, when Monday becomes a reality, may we say, bless the Lord. And all through the days of our lives, in our victories, in our defeats, in our weeping and in our laughing, on the good days and the bad days, may we determine that our sermon to our soul will very simply be, bless the Lord. Thank you for listening. We pray that God has used his word to speak to you today. If you'd like to learn more about Tabernacle, you can visit us online at tabernaclebaptistchurch.com. There, you'll find additional information about our church, opportunities to partner with us financially, as well as other resources that we hope can be a help to you. May God bless you, and thank you once again for listening.